Good evening. Thank you for that fine special music tonight and the great congregational singing. Very much enjoyed that. Oh, I hope you had a good afternoon. How many of you got a quick nap in today? Anybody get one in? Uh, okay, yeah, maybe uh, maybe not so quick, but I took a brief siesta in a lounge chair in Savers today, believe it or not, <laughs> while my son was scurrying around checking stuff out. Where is he, by the way? Is he even in here? If anybody sees my son, David, just give him a yank and tell him to get in here. <laughs> I know he's holding the door for people. He might be doing something else out there. But tonight, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles and go with me to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and we're going to pick up where we left off this morning. But before I do, I want to see if anybody had a chance to meet Sheldon Street this morning. Sheldon and his wife from Woodbury were here in the service. He had a beard, uh, kind of a yeah, gray beard. So you met him, Sherry? Apparently, they're part of a church plant that's a um, MARBC church plant slash MBA church plant. It's the only one I've heard of in the state where the MBA and the MARBC joined together and planted a church together. Does anybody know about that? It's called Resurrection Baptist Church in Woodbury, and uh, Sheldon Strand was there. He's a, one of the uh, Bible teachers down there, and I just came to visit with us. They were celebrating their... If I understood it correctly, their sixth wedding anniversary, they just came up here. He and his wife had stayed in Duluth and had a nice visit and dropped by to see us here. I think he knows our pastor, but I don't know that um, he would recognize, uh, the pastor would recognize him. I think he just had seen him in different pastor's meetings. So uh, it was nice to have that couple here today, and and I know there were some others who were here. I got to to meet Jeff's mom and dad, too, and uh, missed his brother for some reason, but it was nice meeting your mom and dad today, Jeff. And uh, good service. I really enjoyed uh, the time together in Sunday school. And um, thank you for the opportunity just to share from God's word uh, with you today. Now, we're looking at an an elderly lady tonight, an elderly lady. And I'm just going to say from the beginning, I really enjoy working with elderly folks. None of you here fit that category. I know that. Uh, But I do enjoy working with our nursing home. We have a Bible study on Tuesdays at the Acumen uh, Nursing Home and Care Center, the two facilities we have in two harbors, um, nursing home and then a assisted living. And uh, you hear all kinds of things in the nursing home services, um, <laughs> such as, what did he say? I can't quite hear what he's saying. And, and uh, books dropping on the floor. But, you know, I, I learned so much from working with folks that have uh, been around a lot longer than I. And uh, it's always a joy. One lady that stands out to me as a dear saint of God, and, and I think she fits in the same category as Anna in our passage tonight, is a dear lady who's gone home to be with the Lord named Ruth Pettit. And when I was in high school, Ruth Pettit was our church's, um, um, what they called the missions secretary. And so she kept up all the correspondence with all of our missionaries, and it seemed like we had way too many missionaries for anyone to ever keep track of by themselves. I think we must have 25 or 30 missionaries. And she would write to everyone, handwritten letters, of course, and um, whenever they would come, She was pretty much the only one in the church that they really knew. (laughs) They would always say, thanks to Ruth Bennett for praying for us and keeping us informed of what's happening here. And and, uh, thank you for your prayers and letting us know what you're doing here in uh, stateside. And Ruth Bennett lived all of her life by herself in the same home she was born in. When her parents passed on, she remained in the house, and she lived there till the Lord took her home. Never married. Um, She was known as a prayer warrior in our ministry there in Alexandria, Virginia, um, faithfully supported uh, the missionaries in prayer as well as the various ministries. And um, every summer we had a, um, 
of course, all of our children's and, and youth type of activities. One of the things we did was a five-day Bible club. We'd have, like, for six weeks during the summer months, we'd have the college kids come back, and they'd kind of run those for us. And without fail, Ruth would always sign up to go out on those Bible club days. And we'd have to haul tables and Kool-Aid and blankets and puppets and, you know, all the stuff. And it could be 97 degrees with the same percent of humidity out there in the D.C. area. And she'd be out there sweating it out with us. I just was impressed with Ruth Pettit. And then we'd drop her off at her house and she'd get out the basketball. She'd shoot a few shots at her basketball hoop out there to keep in shape. And she must have been in her 80s in, in those days. And uh, just a dear, dear sweet lady. And I learned so much by and from her. Uh, I was able to uh, do a wedding last, uh, I guess it was three years ago, for a couple of uh, 70-year-olds, uh, believers in two harbors whose mates had, had passed on. And these two had met. And uh, it was really strange doing premarital counseling with people that have had Christian homes longer than have been alive. And uh, so I said, maybe you should be telling me a little stuff here rather than me teaching you about uh, how to have a happy marriage. Uh, but uh, they're a dear couple living in two harbors, and I have enjoyed seeing the fruits and blessings that um, those in advanced years can offer to the body of Christ. This is a lady uh, that we see here. She's, we're going to learn she's a widow, and she is a woman that, when I read this passage, I ask, now, why would God tell us about her? Why is this included in the scriptures for us? Why this in what we call the infancy narrative of Jesus? Um, And I think for a similar reason that we see Simeon, as we talked about this morning, uh, I believe in part that God wants us to see that though there were so many negative responses to the birth of Christ, obviously with Herod and the soldiers and even the city of Jerusalem being uh, fearful and uprooted because of Herod's anger and and a jealousy at the, the idea of an infant king, that not everybody missed it. Some people got it. The wise men, these foreigners got it. They weren't even Jews. And in the temple, these older people that um, seemed to not be a part of the fast pace any longer, but were still an active part of the, in a sense, national looking, national search, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. They were there on the scene, and they got it. They understood it. They knew what was happening. And I think God wants us to see that in his own way, there's always a remnant uh, that are faithfully looking for God to work, and uh, they may sometimes surprise us who that remnant might be. We had Simeon, uh, apparently a layman, we might say, a non-religious clergy member of, of the temple, hanging out at the temple, and um, God revealing to him that the the infant Christ had been brought in for his uh, circumcision ceremony and dedication to the Lord. And then, of course, we have Anna. I might say Anna, I might say Anna. Anna's probably closer to what it would have been in the the Hebrew. Uh, But beginning of verse 36. Now, there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So we kind of whisk her onto the scene. There she is, and she's gone again. 
we get that little glimpse of a woman whose entire life, apparently, at least from the time that her husband passed away, was dedicated to the Lord's service. And somehow she knew that this was Christ also. The, the, the New King James, the first word of verse 36 is now. Uh, and we see that as a very strong connector to the previous passage. So we see this all happening simultaneously or very close in chronology. Here's Simeon. He's had this great prayer of blessing. He goes aside and talks to Mary and gives her some words to ponder. And then at that minute, Luke says, there's Anna also. And she's there. She's on the scene here in the court of the women, and she recognizes what's happening. And uh, we have a little bit more about her than Simeon, about her background, a little less about what she did at this occasion. With Simeon, we had a little less about who he was and what he was doing and, and more about what he, what he said on the occasion. So we kind of reversed a little bit there. But she definitely has a strong testimony that we uh, want to st- study tonight. And I think the a study of Ivana here is not only good for understanding a little bit more of the Christmas story, but I think what we learn from Anna is good for us the whole year round. And maybe even as we approach the end of this year and the beginning of a new year, to think about some of these thoughts that God reveals to us about this, this aged woman. Now, the first thing we notice is, other than her name, well, I should talk about that. Anna is the same as the Hebrew Hannah, uh, the mother of Samuel. And uh, uh, as I understand it, her name has to do with, very closely related to the idea of grace, uh, being a beneficiary, a gift, um, and it's... Uh, Anybody here named Anna? Anna can clarify that. That's what I found anyway. Uh, gracefulness, gracious, seems to be the Hebrew basis of this lady. And, of course, it fits everything we know about her in this brief passage. The second thing we notice is that she's a prophetess, a prophetess. Now, there's some question about what does that mean? We know that there's two kinds of prophets in the New Testament and the Old Testament. We have those who foretell, Uh, that simply proclaim God's message. They're not predicting the future. They're just proclaiming God's word. In that sense, all of us can be uh, prophets and prophetesses. We can proclaim God's truth, sharing the gospel with other people. And then there was the more technical, more limited role or office of the prophet, which was a foreteller. Uh, He would predict uh, future events by the special revelation from God. And in a sense, Simeon did that in a sense, in the previous passage we looked at this morning, he predicted what was going to come of this baby and how the sword would pierce Mary's heart. And he would be for the, uh, a watershed issue meant for the rising and falling of many in Israel. I kind of think, and this is just my own hunch, that that's where Anna was. And the reason I say that is it would have been very unusual for a, a woman to be a teacher at the temple, as I understand Jewish customs and culture at that time, for her to be on the staff living at the temple and uh, you know on the payroll, so to speak, to be teaching there at the temple, I don't have any of the precedent of that in the New Testament era. What I believe is probably happening here is she actually has this gift of prophecy, which of course, we see throughout the book of Acts in this intertestamental time, the transitional period into the church age and the completion of the New Testament, we have a number of select individuals who have this special ability given by God to receive direct revelation from him and to speak words that come directly from God, much of which might be predicting the future, uh, as, a, as the Old Testament prophets did all the time. 
Now, in conjunction with her being able to have this gift of prophecy, no doubt she was able to minister to the women uh, who came to the temple, and she was right there in the court of the women where they would have been gathered anyway. Um, The fact that she never left the temple, she never departed, uh, there in verse 37, indicates also that she did have a place to reside there at the temple. Now, if you look at various maps of the Herodians' temple, and it was... You know, it was not fully completed at this point, but it was on its way. There were rooms outside for, the, for various storage rooms and for priests to live in and, and the different Levites. And perhaps because of her special gift, because of her unique uh, office and recognition, she was provided a place to live. She was a widow. We'll look at that in, in a moment. Uh, but I, I kind of tend to think she had the gift of prophecy in the Old Testament sense, uh, we have a few, three ladies in the Old Testament who were called prophetesses. Uh, we have seven uh, women, uh, daughters of Philip, who were also known as prophetesses, uh, who had uh, this, this gift. And because of that, it seems like the uh, religious leaders in Jerusalem gave her a place, and they found her gifts valuable. She was on the scene. Let's look at the next part. It says she was the daughter of Phanuel. Phanuel has a Hebrew idea of Face of God. Face of God. It's a beautiful name. Face of God. And uh, is, is it just coincidence that the daughter of face of God is there looking at the face of God and in, in the incarnate Jesus Christ? Uh, maybe we can make too many, too many ties there, but it just seems more than merely coincidence that Luke mentions her father's name the daughter of Phanuel, the face of God. And she was of the tribe of Asher. Asher was the eighth son of Jacob. And uh, Asher's name meant, do you remember what his name meant? He he brought her, his mother, great joy. So happy, happy or joyful. It's a good name. I've known a few people named happy. And uh, so that was what Asher means. So we have happy, we have face of God, we have grace. All these names and uh, all of them are just Can it be a coincidence? Can God, of course, be working even in the names of the individuals here uh, to uh, give us some uh, qualities of the Son of God? Of course, uh, I believe God works even in the names many times in the Word of God to reveal not only who they were, but maybe something of their character. So we have uh, Grace, the daughter of face of God of the tribe of Happy. And uh, she was of great age. Uh, And that is a clue to me that I think helps resolve a bit of a conflict with what this 84 years is all about. Whatever age she was, whether it's given here or not, it was a a great age. And we don't see that expression a lot in the scriptures, someone of great age. When you hear the phrase great age, we don't use that term in our modern parlance today, but do you think of someone, how old? What do you think? What comes to mind? (laughs) I'm thinking 90s and up, right? Yeah, great age. Uh, Not just elderly, but of great age. All right, now, what is going on with this person? She had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. Um, The word virginity elsewhere can also refer to simply marriage, is the idea there. All right, so what this could mean is that uh, she had been married for seven years, And then her husband passed away. And she had been a widow ever since. 
And I believe the fact that we have this idea of um, the, the marriage and the virginity, not just saying she had, has, had a husband seven years, but from her virginity, which speaks of purity, I believe what Luke is doing is he's making a comment on her character. She was a woman of great moral quality. She was a pure lady. She was a pure woman. Her husband had passed away. We don't know anything of children had come from that seven-year marriage, but we do know that seven years of marriage and she had lost her husband. Now, we all understand, probably, if you've studied some of this, that you could be married at a very early age back in those days. Age 12 was not unusual. Many scholars think that Mary might have been around 12 to 14 years of age when she had birth to Jesus. Not unusual. Uh, She would have her bat mitzvah, and then uh, she could be married, uh, just like the young men would have their bar mitzvah. And uh, so if she... If she was married at the age of 12, would be highly unusual, uh, and she was married for seven years, and then she was a, a widow for 84 years, if we add it all up, she could have been around 103. And that, to me, fits very well with Luke's idea of great age. Great age. 103? <laughs> yeah, that's great age. 84 can be great age, too. No, no question about that. So that's kind of the dispute here, is was she an 84-year-old widow, or had she been a widow for 84 years? That's, you know, it's kind of anybody's guess. But it seems to me that because Luke already told us she was of great age, she is an aged woman. She's been around on this uh, old planet for quite a long time. And yet... She never departed the temple, but served God. So she wasn't just staying in a room all day uh, and being waited on. She was up and about serving God with fastings and prayers. We'll talk about some of those in just a moment. But let me just make a comment here. This is a woman with, who's producing fruit still in her life. She's producing fruit. She's a fruitful lady. And let's just, let's just say, for the sake of the benefit of the argument there, she's 84. She's still producing spiritual fruit. If she's 103... Even bigger on the wow factor. Wow. She's still serving God, producing fruit. She's a benefit to the people at the temple's precincts. She's ministering to others. She's ministering to God, and she is fruitful in her golden years. Moses began his real ministry at what age? Well, he began it. uh, Well, the first 40 years was in Egypt, right? Prince of Egypt. Then he spends another 40 years out in the desert wandering, taking care of sheep. So then he's 80, right? He begins his life's career at 80. Of course, he lives to 120, but, you know, 80 is nothing to sniff at, right? And uh, it's, a, it's amazing how we come across people like this and we think, you know, it's never too late to start serving God. It's never too late to be a blessing to others. And whether it's a, a Ruth Pettit or whether it's uh, someone that you know and love, Uh, It's such a refreshing thing to see folks that are still demonstrating the grace of Christ, the love of the Spirit to others, even in advanced years. When when many might take that as an excuse to kind of become the grumpy old person, right, Uh, that uh, everyone jokes about. But some say, no, I'm going to still serve God. I'm going to still demonstrate the grace of the Lord in my life as much as I can. Someone has said that uh, when we come to know Christ... No matter what age, it's like the fountain of youth. It's a spiritual vigor. It's a spiritual refreshing that we come from. The, that comes from the Lord, that we can serve God. 
Uh, hold your finger there. Let's look at Psalm 1 for just a moment. Notice the fruitfulness in Psalm 1. And I notice that there's no cap on the age when we read this psalm. This is true for everyone and anyone who follows the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. Is that just for youth? Is that just for our, our young years? Or can this be all through life? Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This fruitful quality is something that is never supposed to stop. Never supposed to stop. Uh, We have um, uh, on the backside of our property, apparently the neighbors have told me it used to be a hay field. In the middle of this hay field is a very old apple tree. And... uh, I, it's still living, so I haven't had a chance to count rings or anything, but, uh, you know, it's a good-sized apple tree. And two winters ago, uh, we had a really bad storm, and it fell completely over, just down. Because oh, it, it really made great, it was delicious apples. Big, green-red, juicy, great for cooking, great for eating, great for pies, great for applesauce, which is what mostly we did with them. And uh, the next spring, we went out. And it was all leafed out. We looked at the base of the tree, and only about this much of the tree is still connected to the ground. <laughs> and all the rest of it has been ripped up by that wind. And enough nutrients are still coming up that little section of living tissue that it can spread out. And I bet you there were 200 apples on there this summer. It was just amazing. It's, it's an amazing thing to just look at and see. You would think it would just say, I'm done. <laughs> just let me die. You know, cut me up and make me firewood or something. But it's still sucking nutrients from the earth and producing delicious tasting apples. And I don't know how many years old it is, but it's, it's got to be up there. And I think that's what this passage that we looked in Psalm is about, that we should never think about calling it quits. That we can be fruitful and, and abundantly fruitful even in our older years. Anna was no grumpy senior citizen, was she? She epitomizes those, I think, when Paul wrote in um, 2 Corinthians, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And I think of that, I think of that as Anna's, uh, maybe a life verse that would apply for her. All right, so we see that she, we kind of talked about the age question. Uh, 84, definitely at least 84, but from the text, I see most likely this was a lady over 100 years of age, of great age. And what happens now? Uh, We see this widow who has not given up on the Lord, who's not given up on God, who's not become bitter at the loss of her husband. Of course, we know that in that culture, a widow would pretty much be unable to provide for herself uh, unless she remarried. And uh, for whatever reason, she did not remarry. She had a gift that was recognized and was given perhaps a place to live at the temple and was respected by those who lived there. She never left the temple. And I think that's meaning, a primary meaning is physical. She never had to leave. She never had a house to go to. She never left. But I think it's also a spiritual comment. She was always there 
where people were worshiping God. She was always present where God's word was being proclaimed, uh, where the Jews were reciting the Shema, where they were singing the Old Testament Psalms. She was there at the temple. She never fell away. She, we might say, never took a break. Uh, you know, I've had enough of this. I need to take a little break from, from all this. She never seemed to have had that. She kept trusting. She kept obeying. And, and uh, of course, we have to read a little bit between the lines because Luke doesn't give us a whole lot. But the fact that she never left the temple tells me this was a faithful, faithful lady. She had a faithful heart. And uh, just five thoughts about her. First, faithful heart. She never left the temple. What did Jesus say about staying where he is in John 15? He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And abide just means to dwell, to live, to hang out, to be there. And she was. She was there. And because she was there, she didn't miss the blessing. She was there when Jesus came in. Second thought about Anna is that she had a servant's heart. We see that next phrase. She served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Now, in the New King James Version, the word God is in italics, meaning that it's not there in the Greek text, but it is strongly uh, indicated there. Uh, That's who she served. It wouldn't make sense for us to think she's serving men with fastings and prayers. She's obviously serving God with fastings and prayers. And, uh, And she does so night and day. 24-7, right? Every day of the week, every hour of the day, she is available to serve in whatever capacity is needed. It tells us here that she serves with fastings and prayers. Fasting, uh, something we ought to just comment on a little bit. Uh, It's important to notice that while fasting is mentioned throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, it is never commanded of believers in the New Testament. Esther, Queen Esther, called for a fast of the Jewish people, which they... They did, and God gave them a great protection and deliverance from their enemies, of course, in the book of Esther. Uh, We know that um, the Apostle Paul seems to have taken a vow, which may have involved fasting for a time. Fasting is never commanded of New Testament believers. It's meant to be voluntary if it's practiced at all. Um, It's also important to recognize that fasting was never thought to be a way to twist God's arm. God, I fast. I'm fasting today, so you have to answer this request. You have to do this because I'm fasting. I'm giving up my food, giving up my pizza, giving up my Big Mac, so God, you've got to act on behalf of me. That's not the idea of fasting at all. Uh, But rather, the idea of fasting was for a believer to kind of dedicate himself to a particular issue of prayer, and his being so dedicated would preclude him taking time to prepare and even enjoy a meal. Fasting could be, as in the case of Jesus, for 40 days and 40 nights, obviously with water but no food, or it could be something very short and brief. And uh, there are New Testament churches today uh, that will encourage people when a a crisis arises to take a moment and fast. And in in churches where I've been a part of where that's been called upon in the congregation, there's always the uh, little uh, 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 kind of a, Qualifier: If you've got a medical condition, you know if you're not, you know you need to have nourishment. Don't don't do this. You know, uh, just do this as the Lord leads you. But I believe God does honor uh, honor our prayers when He sees us so committed and so dedicated that we will forego our daily nourishment uh, in our service to Him in fasting. 
It's something that people can do individually. It's never required. It should never be something we boast about like the Pharisee did, but can uh, on occasion be a blessing to our walk with the Lord. And it says also that she was not only fasting but praying. Obviously, prayer is commanded and is required and is a blessing and is something that brings delight to our Savior. She had a servant's heart. And um, I believe many enemies of the gospel and of the church have been thwarted by the prayers of faithful men and women on their knees praying for God's work to continue. Thirdly, I see Anna had a thankful heart. Instantly, she comes in, verse 38, and coming in in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. It doesn't tell us she saw the baby or she, the Spirit spoke to her. I mean, she was a prophetess, so obviously a lot of things were going on that we don't have recorded here uh, from, from Dr. Luke. But she comes in that instant, maybe the instant in which Simeon has just been holding the baby up and pronouncing this beautiful hymn, maybe as he's talking to Mary and pronouncing some things about the future of this child. But at that moment in the temple, Joseph and Mary there, in comes Anna, and she gives thanks to the Lord. And spoke of him, capital H there, to the Lord, to, of the baby. He doesn't specify. But he spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Anna, Luke suggests to us, understood that this baby would be the object of people's hope for redemption and the in Jerusalem, I'm, not, I'm looking at that as she's ministering to people in Jerusalem because that's where she lives. Not that the Redeemer is only for the redemption of Jerusalem. That's part of it, but it's much bigger than that. Simeon just told us that, right? So what I see that what Luke is saying is she gives thanks to the Lord upon seeing this, the Messiah, the infant Messiah, and speaks of him, Jesus, the baby, to all those in Jerusalem she had contact with who were looking for redemption. Is that how you see that? seems to make the best sense to me. She was a witness. She had a thankful heart, and finally she had a witnessing heart, a heart to witness for the Lord. kind of sounds a little bit like the shepherds. They went away and spoke the things that they'd seen and heard to all those who would listen, and they related everything they'd seen and heard. And in a sense, we see that with Anna here. She spoke to those who were looking for redemption. There were others looking for redemption. That's encouraging. It wasn't just Simeon. It wasn't just Anna. It wasn't just the shepherds now. There were others who were looking. Maybe they weren't at the temple. They didn't have the privilege to be there when the baby was brought in with, by Joseph and Mary. But Anna knew who they were. And if she didn't, she was careful to listen when they were asking, when, when could Messiah be here? Wouldn't it be a great time for the Messiah to come and overthrow the Romans? You know, people were thinking about that's what he was going to do. And wouldn't this be a great time for the Messiah to come and, and deliver us? And, and there's Anna in hearing range, in earshot, saying, that he's here. He's been born. Keep praying. Keep trusting. The Lord's doing his great work. And uh, the Redeemer has come. The idea of um, speaking there is that she continued to speak. It wasn't just one time. It looks, you know, that she spoke of him once. No, this is she kept on talking about him. And we presume she did that till the Lord took her home, as, of course, we know the Lord would have taken Simeon home as well. So God has given us these two 
uh, aged people there at the temple. And God brought about this divine appointment, so to speak, that he had Anna and Simeon there at the very day and the time when Joseph and Mary brought up the baby Jesus on the eighth day after his birth for his circumcision. And great things happened. And uh, just to conclude the thoughts here, verse 39, Luke tells us, so when they performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, uh, perhaps referring to after the 40 days for Mary were accomplished, they gave the two turtle doves for her sacrifice, and Jesus, the five shekels to buy back the Redeemer. When all that was accomplished according to Moses' law, they kept the law, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And of course, we don't really see a whole lot about him till we see him at the age of 12, and then again later on at his baptism. Well, is there a more worthy response to the coming of the baby Jesus than we see here in Anna? Thanksgiving and praise and witnessing to others of what I've seen, what we've experienced Uh, Jerusalem, the very heart of Judaism, the very uh, city of God's love and favor. Uh, The Babylonian captivity has come and gone. 400 silent years. The people are ready. There's great oppression. There's great uh, legalism in the nation. There's there's a focus on the rituals of the temple, and and they're more concerned about making their money than really encouraging our people to love the Lord. And so it's time. And so John the Baptist will soon be on the scene to prepare the way for the coming of the adult Jesus, the Redeemer. But I see in Anna's heart faithfulness, service, thankfulness, and a desire to witness as a great way for us to anticipate the Christmas season. I pray that you and I will together uh, here at Faith and in our communities and in our jobs and among our families and friends will exude the faithfulness, servant's heart, thankful heart, and a witnessing spirit that we see in this dear lady. Before I close, did anybody have any thoughts you might want to share about this passage? I know it was brief and kind of short there and, and not a whole lot, but maybe you had a thought. Maybe you've heard something. You've studied something. Maybe a note in your study Bible you'd like to share that went along with uh, this study tonight. Anybody have anything? All quiet. It's just after seven. We've got plenty of time. Well, I hope it's been an encouragement to you, and I encourage you to continue uh, uh, in, in your devotions, uh, if you can, uh, to continue reading about the various individuals that play a part in the great Christmas story. How many are uh, nearing their end of their Bible reading for the year, maybe? Getting kind of close. Yeah, on their way. Some, I, know it's, I know you're doing it out there. You just don't want to raise your hand or brag. I know that. Well, keep up at it. This is the tough month, you know, when you've got to do a little bit of catch-up work. We all understand that. So keep on track as, as God blesses and directs you there. <clears throat> uh, before I close in prayer, um, uh, I would like you to remember a gentleman named Ken. Uh, he rides uh, he rides the Arrowhead Transit bus that I drive, and uh, he seems to be open to the gospel. And we've had some spiritual conversations, and uh, I'm praying that there'll be an opportunity to share Christ with him. Uh, and there's another gentleman named Gary uh, who uh, just uh, recently spoke to me about some questions regarding the future. A lot of people asking questions about future events, and 
And uh, he invited me to come by his house and talk with him about that. So if you think about it, maybe we could remember Gary and Ken, uh, both uh, single individuals, wives either passed away or never married, and uh, seem to be some work of God in their hearts and lives, and pray that I can be a witness to them. Of course, remember our pastor and Melissa as they uh, continue to enjoy the rest of their time off. Anybody with a prayer request that you'd like to share before we close in prayer tonight? Or maybe even a praise? All right. Well, have a great Cyber Monday. Don't overdo it now. Don't max anything out. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Anna. We thank you for the fact that we are left with the impression that there is always a faithful few. When the world seems to be upside down in depravity and and sinfulness and rebellion and wickedness, Lord, there is always a remnant you have left for yourself. We thank you that you've recorded for us in your word uh, the account involving Simeon and Anna. We give you praise for them. We know they're in your presence now, rejoicing in you and uh, enjoying forever the pleasures of heaven in the presence of their Redeemer. And we one day will join them. In the meantime, Lord, may we be inspired and encouraged by their example and testimony. May you help us to See, in spite of the darkness around us, uh, in spite of the corruption that seems to grow worse every year, uh, that there is light in our Savior. And there is a greater need than ever for the gospel to penetrate uh, the growing darkness in our society. And I pray, Lord, that we would have the boldness and courage that Simeon and Anna had to speak up about the Savior that we have found, the Savior that we have discovered and love and serve. And perhaps you would be pleased to bring someone else to salvation by hearing hearing the testimony of one of us here tonight. I want to pray for Ken and Gary. I pray that an opportunity to share Christ with them would be uh, coming soon, that they might, if they haven't already done so, that they would believe on Christ as their Savior and receive the gift of eternal life. I pray for Pastor Melissa that you give them a continued restful uh, week um, uh, and just pray that you would make them a blessing to one another and to all those with whom they come into contact. And Lord, for uh, our week in our communities, our very young and perhaps our very old, we pray for safety on the icy streets and sidewalks and we pray for drivers to be careful and alert and that... um, You'd help people to be safe as our temperatures have gotten, gotten cold and things have frozen up again after the, after the thaw. Keep us safe, Lord, as we're dismissed. Bless our fellowship as we depart from this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.